Support for this podcast and the following message come from Zoom. Zoom is used by millions to connect face-to-face, across town or around the world. Zoom ties together all of your unified communication tools into one easy platform. For video conferencing, phone calls, group chat, webinars, and conference rooms, Zoom is how business gets done. Visit Zoom online to set up your free account today. Meet happy with Zoom. ni pour l'idée de progrès. Dans cet univers où la nature commande tout... It's July 2007, and just months after his election, the new French president, Nicolas Sarkozy, is on his first visit to sub-Saharan Africa. And, in the midst of his centerpiece speech at the University of Dakar, Senegal, he tells the assembled students what he thinks about Africa's trajectory. Jamais l'homme ne s'élance vers l'avenir. Jamais il ne lui vient à l'idée de sortir de la répétition pour s'inventer un destin. The African man has never launched himself towards the future. The idea never came to him to get out of this repetition and invent his own destiny. This is a series about Africans that have launched themselves into the future. It's about space, space science and its history on the continent. From amateur launches... Space preparations were made even by Zambia, northern Rhodesia. ...to African-built satellites orbiting the Earth right now. When the liftoff occurs, and it was, it was ecstatic. I don't know how to explain, describe the joy of the success. It's a story of surprising depth and renewed energy. Over the last 20 years, Algeria, Ghana... Egypt, South Africa and Nigeria have all established their own space agencies. The success story of the space program in Nigeria is now being seen as a new song to sing about Africa. And by 2020, South Africa and eight other African countries, alongside Australia, will host the Square Kilometre Array project, the largest radio telescope ever built, to uncover some of the universe's deepest mysteries, billions of light years, away from Earth. And it's a story written across my family too. My name is Maggie Adarin Pocock and I'm a space scientist and science communicator. My own parents moved from Nigeria to the UK before I was born. And I remember as a child on cold grey nights in our London flat listening with wide eyes to my father describing the moon in Ife, his hometown in Nigeria a country I had never seen, and where, in Programme 2, I will visit for the first time. To see my family... What is it? They say, did you know my grandfather? Uh -uh. (laughs) (laughs) He's our father. So, for today, he's the oldest man within us. So we thank God for his life. And God will be with you. And to see the agency leading the continent in its push to space. Uh, yeah, a flight model. Flare model, yes. exactly. So, so it has all the components. Designed, yes. yes. By our own engineers. So this is actually a, a working satellite that yes. just hasn't been launched. Exactly. During his own childhood, my father said he used to cycle early to school with only the moonlight to guide him. I couldn't quite believe the moon could be that bright. Growing up in that great era of space exploration, I was enraptured. I love space and I wanted to get out there. In this programme, I'll meet people from the continent where my parents were born who feel just the same way. 
My name is Mandla Masego from South Africa, and I'll be the first black African in space. So can you briefly explain how you got the opportunity to go into space? Well, it came through a competition worldwide, and I had to send a picture of myself jumping from anywhere. And yeah, they called me back. They asked me a question. Why do I want to go to space? And I said, I want to go down history as the first black South African and defy the laws of gravity. <laughs> and yeah, made it to the space camp and we flew to Orlando, Florida, USA. Out of 109 people from 75 countries, I made it to the top 23 people that will be going to space. So what were you doing um, when you entered the competition? I mean, um, were you in a science discipline or? I was sitting at home. I was what you call a couch potato. <laughs> yes. Um, I dropped out of school because of insufficient funds. Right. So I was at home when this competition availed itself. And so Mandela Maseko explained, if everything goes to plan, one day he and a pilot will take off in a special aircraft, ascend vertically and, after only a few minutes, go over 100 kilometres in altitude and look down at the earth. So, yeah, what do you think the highlight of the trip will be? Because it'll just be you and the pilot. I think my highlight will be looking outside the window and hopefully if I were to see the African continent as one from space. And the whole journey after re-entry and landing only takes one hour. But it would be enough to make him the first black African in space. Because um, where did you grow up in in South Africa? I was born and raised in Soshanguve. In 1994, we moved to Mawapane. These places are in Pretoria, both of them. All right. So basically, I'm, I've been in the township for all my life. And I can simply say my upbringing, it was, not, it was not good. It was not bad. It was okay. Yeah, I never went to bed without having a roof over my head or having eaten. My dad worked hard for us, you know. And my mom has been, wow, that's... <laughs> My mom, she's a pillar of my, uh, she's, she's my strength, basically. Yeah. Uh, I would go for an interview and I would come back. They would not hire me. And my mom would say, don't worry, my son, your day will come. So this must have been fantastic going all the way through the system and then coming out on top at the end. Yes. Um, you know, for me, going to space was a far-fetched dream. You, when you grow up in the township, you did not want to be your president or your pilot or your astronaut. And me entering this competition, it was just, uh, let me just have fun, you know, let's see where this is going. And when I arrived at Cape Canaveral, that's when it hit me that actually I need this opportunity to change uh, the township. Now, Mandela may never actually get to space. The competition he won with the Axe Apollo Space Academy was supposed to fly last year. And this is unfortunately common. Space is challenging. Failures happen. But what it means to Mandela is revealing in itself. What do you think would happen if you didn't get the opportunity, if the flight didn't happen? For me, it would be a great disappointment um, because I've been preaching about it for the past two years. And then it ended up not happening. Kids have been looking up and like, yeah, you know, he's going to make us proud. He's going to make us proud. And I don't go. So, yeah, that would be a great disappointment. He doesn't just want to make himself and his parents proud. 
He wants to change his hometown. We might not think that's possible, even if his flight were to go ahead, but it does show that in Africa, especially, space can never just mean space. And this is nothing new either. In fact, it goes right back to the 1960s, as the world watched the US and the Soviet Union race to space. A man in Zambia looked to beat them both. Zambian writer Namwali Sapel and Mars Lama, a historian at Oxford University, explain. The protectorate of northern Rhodesia is no more. On October 30th in 1964, Time magazine published an article called Tomorrow the Moon, in which it announced that northern Rhodesia, the former British colony, had been rechristened as Zambia. At the end of an article describing the independence festivities, the plans that the new elected president, Kenneth Kawunda, had, there was a paragraph about a grade school science teacher named Edward Mukuka Nkoloso, who described himself as the director of Zambia's National Academy of Science, Space Research and Philosophy. So Zambian Independence Day, 24th of October 1964, there is a major celebration and a major, it's, a, it's a major opportunity for Zambians to suggest to the world that they are an emergent, powerful, modern nation. There are parades, there are fireworks, there's a big independence ceremony, uh, the British flag is taken down and the new Zambian flag is put up. And Uncle Oso, in the midst of this, proposed that uh, a rocket launch should be should take place on the day of independence. The rocket itself uh, was called Dikalu One, and the launching system he called it, it, an African firing system, based on a traditional mechanical engine called the Mukwa system, and it was basically a catapult. Devison Bambo Miti, now in his sixties recalls his time when, as a schoolboy, he helped Nkloso build his Independence Day rocket. Yes, uh, three months before in the, the uh, 24th October, he started the, the assembling of uh, a rocket. Uh, we were, in fact, schoolboys at that time. So he recruited us to his academy. And then we were meeting thereafter regularly, every day. Because he had good ideas in the production of the rocket itself. He was a sort of uh, unqualified engineer. And we started building up this rocket. Uh, it was out of uh, used drums. You know, drums where they, we used to collect, he collected these, these drums from some industries. But unfortunately for Incluso, Deverson and the rest of the academy, they weren't given any slot on the official celebration programme. If I had my way, Incluso wrote, Zambia would have been born with a blast of the academy's rocket being launched into space. But the Independence Celebration Committee said that it would terrify the guests and possibly the whole population. But, undeterred, they launched the rocket on a hill nearby, Deverson again. Then on Independence Day, mid up to midnight, 
the flag of Zambia had been hosted. We also uh, launched our rocket somewhere there by the hillside on the eastern part of the Independence Stadium and it flew about 800 feet above the ground. This is indeed a time to rejoice in the whole of Zambia and in the whole 800 feet up into the air then and a poor start for the Zambian National Academy of Science, Space Research and Philosophy. But in the freshly independent Zambia, Nkluzo has had a bigger task for his programme. Yes, a mission to the moon and then a mission to Mars. Um, <laughs> I think the mission to Mars became more urgent once the Americans reached the moon, <laughs> once Apollo reached um, the moon. Again, Namwali Sapel and Miles Lama. So the training took place in part of Lusaka, which was deserted at the time, called Chamba Valley. And he had a handful of Afronauts who he would make climb hills, jump up and down, run for miles, swing on ropes. Um, he made them climb water tanks. Um, he gave them lectures on astronomy and chemistry and physics. He saw this as a sort of rigorous um, physical training program to get people ready for space travel. And he was obviously drawing on some of the images he'd seen of Russian and American space programs and then applying them in an extremely different context with a lack of funding and a lack of resources. They invited people to witness the aspects of their training um, that could be uh, released to public view, including rolling people down hills and oil drums to simulate, he said, the feeling of freefall in space, but also walking on hands. And one special astronaut, uh, the only woman astronaut, the only woman astronaut at, actually at the time, Martha Mwamba, a 16-year-old girl, uh, was raising a herd of cats, which were to be released one by one when she got to Mars, um, to make sure that the atmosphere um, was amenable to life forms. We know that he made an appeal to UNESCO for a number of millions of dollars um, in the early 1960s, giving some suggestion he, he understood that this would be a programme that would cost large amounts of money, but obviously that wasn't something which was successful. There were several attempts to launch that didn't work very well, and eventually... Nkoloso reported that he'd had to disband the space program because his top astronaut, Martha Mwamba, had become pregnant. And as he would say to one of the reporters, I've had troubles with my spacemen and spacewomen. They won't concentrate on space flight. There's too much lovemaking when they should be studying the moon. Um, he also complained of lack of funding. To really get going, I need about 700 million pounds sterling. It sounds like a lot of money, but imagine the prestige value this would earn for Zambia. Um, and without that money, uh, he, he was not able to make his Mukwa propulsion system go. He, he failed to get the sponsors. Some people took him to be mentally disturbed when he, it wasn't. He was a good scientist. We were all ready to go to the moon. 
But uh, see, this sponsorship was not was lacking. Zambians, there were no Zambians who were quite rich who could understand what Mr. Nkoroso stood for. Otherwise, he, he would have been the first astronaut. In fact, he was the first astronaut of Zambia. But he would have been the first to travel to the moon. No money, no official backing, no equipment. In fact, Zambia as a whole country only had 100 university graduates at independence. So how can we understand it? It's not easy, given that Nkloza himself died decades ago, and many of the Afronauts have been scattered into history. It's certainly easy to mock or report with a wink to the audience. Space preparations were made even by Zambia. An unofficial space academy there found no shortage of unshakable volunteers as it carried out simulated condition tests. But it did lack money. It got no government support, although, as its director-general said, we've got the intelligence and the resources. But the story of Nkloso, the Academy's director, goes beyond some mad hat scheme. He was, firstly, a serious man, a soldier for the British in Burma in World War II, a schoolteacher then an anti-colonial activist imprisoned and, according to his account, tortured by the British. And then, after independence, alongside the Space Academy, Nkloso ran a centre giving vital support to nationalist movements and guerrillas in Zambia's neighbouring countries, countries that had not yet gained independence. Angola, Mozambique, South Africa and Zimbabwe, then known as Rhodesia. He was then a man of some stature, Namwali, a Zambian herself, agrees. He has been dismissed in the history books as a crackpot, um, as a kook or a loon or someone who was um, insane to think that Zambia could get to the moon or to Mars. And I just, having read as much as I possibly can about this person and having read his own writing and read transcriptions of his own speech, he doesn't strike me as a madman. He strikes me as something a little bit more akin to a genius. <laughs> but even so, why space? And the answer to that lies perhaps in the much broader context surrounding Uncloso and the Academy, in the great changes and hopes of decolonisation. back at the history of Africa, um, this dream of space seems to be very unlikely to happen. But if you went 50 years before that, the idea of independence for various African countries must have seemed like a pipe dream as well. Exactly. At the end of the Second World War in 1945, Britain, France had no idea that their colonies were about to become independent. But 15 years later, within two decades really by 1965, virtually the whole of Africa has achieved independence. Uncolosa was part of that generation of people who lived through profound political change and change that appeared to show what individuals did, what groups of people did, really could change the world. So I don't think it's surprising that he could have what we might think of as crazily ambitious ideas about putting men into space because in Africa, in a sense, a great deal more had been achieved. Hundreds of millions of people had been liberated from colonial rule. It was a very um, 
exciting moment. And I think there were a lot of immigrants from outside of the country coming into Zambia right around the time of independence and after. It had the potential to be this revolutionary space. These were young nations that were absolutely convinced, along with wider international opinion, that Africa was the coming continent. And Zambia had as many reasons as anyone else to believe that this could be a nation that would catch up very quickly. So in that period, it, there was always a feeling of anything is possible. Absolutely. Dream it and it might come true. A, a period of amazing optimism and confidence that is difficult to capture, perhaps in our rather more pessimistic, sceptical age. So Zambia saw this as an age of rapidly catching up, on the cusp, maybe, of joining the first world. And this was a confidence found right across the continent, captured best by the Ugandan-Sudanese philosopher Taban Lo Liyong, reading here from his own 1969 book, The Last Word. So false starts, and quite a few of them, have been made in Africa. We may be failing in doing certain things, but most of us know the direction we are going straight into the 21st century. And to arrive there, we are not going to go the way our grandparents would have gone, by foot and by canoe. We shall fly, we shall go by missiles, we shall go with the white man, we shall go with the yellow man, and we shall go by all means. We shall fly. We shall go by missiles. We shall go by all means. Here we see a great faith in the continent's future and a specific vision of it. Willing Africans to own technology and to master it. Technology was seen as a universal good, a sort of neutral resource that could be used by anybody. And that vision of harnessing technology was very much part of the new political vision for independence. So if Zambia had an electrification programme, uh, a national airline and many technological developments on the horizon, why not a space programme? And you can see the, the politics of propaganda, right? If, if, if the Americans can do it, we can do it. Just because the Russians are doing it doesn't mean we can't do it. So here we can see Nkloso differently. Space wasn't just some kooky venture. Rather, he was doing it for his country and continent, when the mastery of technology that space required was the way to thrust Zambia and Africa onto the world stage. So he used the term Afronauts, he launched rockets on Independence Day, and he developed his own African propulsion system. Zambians are inferior to no men in science technology, he wrote. My space plans will surely be carried out. Colonialism had told its subjects, we will do this for you, from technology to business to government. It told them, and in closer, you're not capable. Space was his way of showing that he was. There are echoes of this in my own life, just ten years later. Growing up in 1970s Britain, I was told by the Brits I wasn't British, and by the Nigerians I was a lost Nigerian. Space appealed to the young me as an escape from this mentality and a place where I could show what I could do. As certainly many thought that a dyslexic black girl from London could never become an astronaut. 
And although that dream has yet to be fulfilled, I did become a space scientist. I have built satellites, worked on some of the world's largest telescopes and talked to thousands of kids across the world about space. And in fact, it's a running theme. Mandela Maseko may not become the first black African in space, but it's not wasting time waiting. I managed to get myself a private pilot license. I went to join the Air Force as well. Like, I've been making sure that I obtain these titles that Africans think that they are not obtainable. Deverson didn't make it to the moon, but he was inspired by Unkloso. And that's what encouraged me to join the, the cadets. When uh, I came to learn about it when I was at the secondary school, I always remember Kukankoroso. And the 16-year-old head astronaut may have left the Zambian Space Academy, but her life didn't stop there. Martha Mwamba became the first woman driver of a bus in the National Zambian Bus Services, right? So she learned how to drive. She learned clearly enough as an astronaut to apply technological skills uh, in her life moving forward. For all of us, space might have been one step too far. But the giant leaps we have made in trying to get there have been extraordinary in themselves. And it was, for all of us, an arena where we could say we would reach further than anyone thought possible. The space programmes of Africa today have, of course, come a long way from Nkloso and his oil drum rocket, and they are more concerned with sending satellites rather than people into space. But I do wonder whether in Ghana, Algeria or South Africa, say, they are propelled at all by the same motivation to show they are capable of more. I'm Maggie Adairin-Pocock for the BBC World Service. We Shall Fly comes from PRA Productions. The producer is Sammy Kent. Next week, I head to Nigeria for the first time. The country at the forefront of space in Africa and the place my parents lived over 50 years ago. And we ask what the space programmes mean to the people making them happen. The two spacecraft survived well and everybody's happy. I'm so proud of our, of our boys. They did well. And to the countrymen around them. Nigeria spends... $20 million a year on space. Is that good? <laughs> we are not aware. We are definitely not. See you then.